Well, again, good morning and happy Easter. It's all about the resurrection, taking time to celebrate, to, to remember the resurrection and, and what that means. And in that process, that very process should invite us to respond in some way. I love how Pastor Jesse, our lead pastor, says that he can't talk about the resurrection without getting passionate. And he unabashedly does just that as he's talking about the resurrection. I love that passion. And that passion also makes me stop and reflect about where my heart's at and what comes out of not just my mouth, but who I am as I live from that place of God's resurrection power in me and what that means for my life as well. And to be honest with you, it's a little convicting at times. Because I've noticed for me and that for other uh, people, other Christians, we can talk about resurrection in this very kind of nonchalant way. Happy Easter, he's risen, yeah. And there's this nonchalantness that, well, I mean, we believe the resurrection historically happened. We know what it means for our salvation. But our default can be thinking of, well, the implications in the future of what that resurrection means when we too one may one time die. We will die. Not may. We will die at some point. We think of those future implications and we don't think or really reflect on what the resurrection means for us right here, right now. The life-shaping, life-changing power of God in our lives right now. We think a lot about the hereafter in the resurrection and we miss thinking about the here and now. We miss taking time to just be filled with awe and wonder at the reality we're celebrating in this Easter of a God who has conquered sin and death and is not dead but is alive and with us with resurrection power. Yes, as I reflect on that, I feel that, that awe, that wonder, that anticipation, that excitement that makes me want to say, resurrection, yes. And oftentimes, I'm remembering how instead of that, it's, well, I get distracted with the demands of life or the difficulties of life, and it comes to mind, and I'm like, oh, yeah, resurrection. Boy, that's going to be wonderful one day. <laughs> Matter of fact, I even said that to one of the people here today. No, God wants us to know, not just in the hereafter, but the here and now, that he is Lord and Savior, right? We can think of Jesus as that intro bumper pointed as just a great moral teacher, who teaches us how to behave when life is difficult and the demands are before us. Yes, but more than that is what Easter says. He is our risen Savior and Lord that comes to us with resurrection power in the midst of those demands and those difficulties, making a difference in the midst of those. As we look through the Gospel of Mark this morning, we'll see not just resurrection, but death and burial. We'll see the resurrecting power of God, not just at the end, but all throughout as he's moving in the lives of people. God's resurrection power is at work in all of life because of what has happened on Jesus' death and resurrection. It's highlighting how God's transforming power reaches into every, every area of our lives. A while back, I was uh, encouraged to think of the ways that I've seen God in the midst of difficult and demanding times of people right around me and in my own life as well. 
I call them resurrection stories, stories that I've actually even written down so I won't forget and then I can remember that this God who we're going to be with for eternity is the God in the here and now making a difference for people in their lives as well. And over the last month, I found myself being reminded and going back to those stories and just going, wow, look what God did. And remembering, well, that was really awesome. There's no other way to explain that than God. As well as to have my eyes open to just even this past week, seeing some pretty difficult and demanding situations or even hearing people share of stories where in the midst of the challenge, God's resurrecting power showed up and made an eternal difference. I'm thinking of the daughter who told me about her dad, we'll call him Bob, who she says somewhere in his life there was some grief and some hurt that had never been fully processed with God. And so it kind of came together in this, this anger and this despair in his life where every single day he would then just drink and continue to drink to try to numb out what he was feeling. Literally, she says, he was drinking himself to death. But then Jesus. <laughs> and the story goes on in ways that we can celebrate. Or I think of hearing again as I did this week. It's not a unique story to them. I've heard it in times past, but I heard it again as Jill shared about her life and how she was just absolutely devastated to find out that her spouse had been unfaithful, not once, but numerous times over the past years. She thought there was no hope, that there was nothing that they could salvage in their marriage. Then Jesus did what only he could do. I think of Bill and Christine, who were absolutely devastated as they lost a child in its very first year of living. Devastated in a way that Christine kind of pulled back and just uh, isolated herself, not only from people, but from God. And Bill, who found himself in this horrible depression, yet in the midst of that, God kept pursuing him. And the story goes on, and there's a great resurrection story there as well. Or I think of a story that I got to hear firsthand this past week when I was in the Dominican Republic from Ramon. Ramon, who is someone who is a dad of five children at this time, who was trying to make ends meet with the family, and he couldn't keep his eyes off of the kids he would pass going home that were in the street that were homeless. And he felt like God was telling him, I want you to start a home for those homeless children that you're seeing. And not only a home for any homeless children, but particularly the ones with special needs. And so he started working and praying hard so that one day that this would come to fruition. And he says after six years, he had no more money, actually had less towards being able to ever buy that piece of property to even build a home on. He said he felt discouraged. He wondered if he really heard God correctly. And then God. <laughs> and then the risen Savior came through. We'll get to those. Those are the hard circumstances where God's at work. Those are the resurrection stories that where you see God in the midst of places you go are hopeless, are devastating. The resurrection power of Jesus' presence making a difference. This Easter, where are you? Are you maybe one of those stories where you're wondering, devastated, feeling hopeless? Do you know people that are in one of those areas and places. I'd ask even before we open up the scriptures that you join me once more and just pray that God would open our hearts to the truth of what we're reading 
in a way that his resurrection power would continue to show forth in our lives. Will you pray with me? God, as we open your word, would you open not only our minds to understand what we're about to read, but our hearts to respond, to listen to you and what you want to say to us, whether it be the circumstances of our lives or others around us. God, would you once again grace us with that gift of hearing from you in the life-changing, faith-renewing ways where we discover more of who you are and how you're at work right here, right now, with whatever we're experiencing this Easter. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please find your Bibles, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 15. If you have a mobile device, go ahead and find your way. Yes, we'll have the scripture on the screen, but I'd like you to follow along as well. If you're in a small group, you're going to recognize some passages that uh, you went over already. Uh, So yes, we're covering that material again. We think it's that good, (laughs) that important. Matter of fact, even uh, I understand that they've blocked off an entire week to call it Holy Week and Easter just to celebrate the incredible truths that are here as well. So we're going to dive back in, and as we do, pray that God would uh, continue his good work in our hearts and lives as we read and reflect. So again, that's Mark chapter 15. We're going to start there at verse 33. We read, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani? Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And then Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Right away we see the humanity of Jesus agonizing over his imminent death. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus wasn't asking a question, looking for an answer. No, it's more rhetorical in nature. Jesus was expressing the agony that's very real at being separated from God. As he experienced in his body and flesh what it meant that the wrath, the sin of us is all laid upon him. Our debts upon his shoulder. Him taking the place and paying the debt for what was rightly ours. A holy God is looking down and seeing sin and evil wreak havoc on people's lives. He's not going to be unresponsive. And what we see here is his response, his gracious response in Jesus. Jesus, who steps in our place, dies for us, that we, an unholy people, a people far from God, might know God, that he experienced separation so we would never be separated from God and his love, that as we trust Christ, we might know and enjoy God as our Lord, as our Savior, that we might experience the resurrection power because of what Jesus has done. In the Gospel of Luke, at this same moment, Luke captures something else that Jesus said. We see this in chapter 22, recaptures Jesus' words, Father, into my hands, I commit my spirit. In the middle of the agony that Jesus is feeling, he's continually trusting 
Jesus. He's still continually trusting that God his Father knows what's best and is working in the midst of this for something incredible. The very words that he's speaking hearken back to the Psalms, which these people would have known very well, that Jesus knew growing up. The psalmist who expresses similar sentiment in Psalm 31, if you want to jot that down, is one of the places. This very psalm Jesus quoted also proclaims this. In Psalm 31, verse 24, it says, God has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from the afflicted. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. Jesus knows this. He knows that this is truth of what someone can experience because God is God. God is in control. God is good. And so he goes on in the midst of the agony, trusting Jesus. This is resurrection power at work right in the death of Christ. Jesus dying so that we might know God. Are we willing to admit that we don't have the answers, that we can't do it on our own, that we need a Savior? Are we willing to call out to Jesus, not trying to get there on our own efforts or think there's any reason that we would have merit to call out to Jesus, but calling out to him, say, Lord, save me. I surrender what I think is best, my needs for your greater will and purposes. Have we surrendered our lives to God? Have you? John 1.12 gives us this incredible promise. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children who can know God's love because of what has happened on this Easter Sunday. We can know the power of a resurrected Savior and Lord as our Savior and Lord. 2 Corinthians 6.18 says, I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Christian, in this day, believer in Jesus, may you know that you are a child of God, a beloved son and daughter of the Lord Almighty. There is nothing that can separate you from that love because of what Jesus has done. He's breaking through to our hearts, continually showing us more of who God is. It's the resurrection power at work. This Easter, I pray, I pray that all of us will trust that, take comfort in our identity as God's beloved children and all that that means for the right here, right now, what we'll face when we leave this and and go into our next week unbelieving friend who comes thinking of Jesus only as the moral teacher, I invite you to accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord, to cry out to him, realizing that your efforts will always be futile. There will never be hope apart from the hope that's found in Jesus. And I invite you, nothing more important you could do this Easter than to take time right now. Don't wait till the end of the sermon. Take time right now and call out to Jesus. And as you do, you can know that he'll answer and that he will come and make his home with you. That's why he's died. 
That's what Easter is all about, is that new life. So I encourage you, if you've never prayed and reached out to God in that way, do it today. Don't take another moment. Let God love you in the ways that he died to love you. If you're praying right now, keep praying. And if you're not, follow along with me in the scriptures, starting up again at verse 38. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two, we read, from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way, he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And some in the centurion, he asked him whether Jesus was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in the tomb that had been cut out from the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. Mary Magdalene and mother, uh, Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Think about what must be going on for these women, or Joseph Arimathea, or the other disciples who saw what was going on, saw their friend who they had walked years with put to death in the most shameful, disgraceful, public way of death on a cross. Not just their friend, this is their rabbi, their teacher that was teaching them about God, was helping them understand more of who they were. Imagine just the heartbreak, the disillusionment, the despair that could have been setting in for these people as their dreams of what they thought life with Jesus was going to be about, as their dreams that maybe this was the political king who's going to reign victorious, they now saw dead, buried, sealed in a tomb. The finality unmistakable. The disillusionment and confusion they must have been feeling is almost tangible as you look at this story. What goes on for us when we've had dreams die? That we think what we are doing is what God would want us to do, and so we think and we pray and we work hard, and then we see it not come to fruition but seemingly die. What goes on in our hearts? We began to maybe wonder, did we miss something? Began to wonder, should I have prayed more? Could I have done more? And then all of a sudden that doubt begins to creep in. Creep in that says, well, if this wasn't God's will, then what is? Is it possible to know God's will? Is God indifferent to my pain? Is God even good? While all these things can stir for us and, and very likely could have stirred for the people we're reading about, we hear about Joseph of Arimathea taking courage. In verse 34, 43, we're told that Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, this is a Jewish government official, okay, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. 
In the Gospel of John, we also learned that this Joseph of Arimathea is a disciple of Jesus. He is a child of God who surrendered his life to Christ. So he's a believer in the midst of his disillusionment of seeing his Savior put to death. In the midst of the possible opposition that Jewish people would think when he goes and asks for the body. Because he's kind of kind of outing himself here saying, yep, I love that crucified Messiah. That's my Messiah. And I want to continually honor and respect that Messiah. What, what might those other government officials said or done to him? Or some of the consequences that might, he might have faced? Irregardless of that, we're told he took courage. He kept seeking Jesus in his grief. He kept trusting that God was good when it didn't make sense what that might be. He kept trusting, seeking Jesus. When our dreams are buried right before our eyes, when life is not working the way that we expected, we need to give ourselves time to grieve. To grieve not as those without a hope, but to grieve with those who have a hope. To grieve in a way where we let God's resurrection power speak to the deepest parts of our soul. This isn't about prematurely abandoning hope in what he might do. No, it's the process of God continually speaking to our souls, giving us a hope, a certain hope of what he will do. Comforting us, loving us, healing us in that time. This is the courage of Joseph of Arimathea who said, I'm going to keep trusting, keep seeking in the midst of my grief. This is the women who had prepared the spices that they brought to bury Jesus and honor him in the midst of that. They kept believing. You know those resurrection stories that I shared? The one thing that they all have in common is people kept seeking Jesus. Or should I say Jesus kept their eyes on him, brought their eyes and their attention back to him. See that alcoholic needs time to grieve, acknowledging the consequences of their actions, not in a beating them up, self-up type way, but in a way that's redemptive. Those who suffer from infidelity need to bear the illusion of what their marriage was and their faithless ways of relating, Jill tells me. And that was then the path of seeing God's resurrection power begin to work in powerful ways. The entrepreneur who sees what he thought was going to happen fall and fail, needs that unhurried space to let go of his dreams, to stop trying to control on his own and say, okay, God, not your will, but not my will, but your will be done. I submit myself, my spirit, my dreams, my hopes to you, Jesus, knowing that you're good, knowing that you'll do more than I can think. Those who suffered the loss of a loved one here today, I join with you. My wife and I had several miscarriages before we ever had our first children. Didn't know if we would have kids. I just in this past year, have uh, year and a half, have lost my dad. And let me tell you, grief sometimes doesn't all happen within three days. It takes longer. But God is good in the midst of that. Give yourself permission to grieve faithfully with the Lord. Give yourself that healing and creative space where Jesus can do his healing and creative work in your soul where his resurrection power will meet the pain and continually transform who you are and what you're experiencing. You'll see up on the screen a graphic for something I'm so very grateful that we're able to offer. It's called Aiden's Hope. It's a conference that we're putting on for bereaved parents. 
It's called Aiden's Hope because, as some of you know, our lead pastor, Jesse, and his wife, Jesse, lost one of their children in its first year of living. His name was Aiden. And in the midst of that, that has put Jesse on a journey that if he was here, he'd tell you to this day, he's continually discovering God's healing grace and resurrection power. In the midst of that grief, I've been with Jesse as he's crying tears over what has gone on, but crying tears also because of God's goodness that continually meets him in the midst of that. If you are someone that's had a miscarriage, if you are or know of anyone that fits any of these categories, if you've had a child die right after birth or some tragic way, uh, if that is you, I encourage you to make the most. Give yourself some space to grieve faithfully with Jesus in a way where his gospel truth can minister to your soul at this conference. You can see it's June 15th, 16th. There's a little flyer right here that you can take home, tell you where to register. And, and maybe it's not you. Maybe it's someone else that what you leave this Easter with is sharing with them where they can find the resurrected power and hope of Jesus in the midst of their pain, in the midst of their grief. If you're hurting this Easter, take time to keep seeking and trusting Jesus. He is Lord. He is good. And you can know that goodness, yes, even in the midst of your grief. Let's go on, because it doesn't end there <laughs> in the tomb. Chapter 16, verse 1 says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they're saying to one another, Okay, who's going to roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large, Mark says. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where you laid him? But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as I told you. You will see and experience the resurrected Jesus. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Two things strike me here. Number one is Mark's special reference and noting what Jesus said to Peter. Remember Peter? Peter, the one, you know, just a few chapters ago, a few days ago, is the one saying, I don't know Jesus. A little bit later, no way, I don't know that guy. No, I have nothing to do with him. Three different times denying Jesus. And it's as if this man saying, He's one especially that needs to hear this truth, that Jesus is raised from the dead, that he is a beloved child of God, that even in his denial, he can't be separated from the love of God. The love of God will break through those doubts, those fears that he might have. Peter, you are one of God's beloved children. The resurrected Lord wants you to know that. I'm also struck with the irony of these verses. Did you catch it? How many times in the Gospel of Mark did we hear after a big miracle, shh, don't go tell anyone, right? And what did they do? They went and talked and told everyone, right? And now here, greatest miracle ever, big miracle ever, and the man before him says, all right, go tell them, and what do they do? 
Nothing. With this bewildered, astonished look in their eyes and fear that started to creep in their hearts, they said nothing. It says, verse 8, trembling and astonishment had seized them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. They had seen this mind-boggling reality, something that they had never thought could be true. Jesus is raised from the dead. Death has not held him down. Death has been defeated. They're seeing this, and it's just got to blow their minds to think, wow, what he did with Lazarus, he just did to himself. There's an incredible reality, and they leave but just astonished, thinking, resurrection, wow. But at the same time, and I love the honesty of the gospel, fear starts to creep in. Fear that creeps in and paralyzes them from saying anything to others. Can you relate to that? Where you know the reality of the resurrection. You're here today. You're celebrating. You're singing the songs. And yet you'll be next week with someone and you're going to find that fear creeping up. What would they say if I told them I really trust my whole life to a crucified Messiah who's now risen? What might they say or do? Would they cut me off? Would they laugh at me? Or maybe that fear for you is something like that's come up for me of, I'm not very eloquent. I'm going to mess this up in how I say it. Or maybe you have the fear of, I just don't know enough scripture to be able to point them to later on. And that fear gets you paralyzed from telling the very good news that that person needs to hear, whether they know it or not. I think it's so easy to hear something like this on a Sunday morning and then get out there and, I be, and it's like, where do I begin? Do I need to begin about telling them about their sin or do I explain how some people say it didn't rise, but it really did rise and here's all the, you know, the proof of everything that went on or what, you know, uh, what do I say? And here's what I'm finding helpful. Matter of fact, I had a great example that God gave me this week where someone who was hurting and angry in some different ways stuck in that place as I listened and discovered, all of a sudden, one of these resurrection stories came to mind. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to share with them that. Thanks, God. And said, hey, I know someone else that was in a similar situation as this. And, and here's something that I saw God do to something that looked hopeless. Where God broke through with his resurrection power. And at that very moment, that person gave their life to Christ and we prayed right there. No. But they left thinking. They left praying about how God might want to break through in their circumstances. What are the resurrection stories you know? What are the ways you've seen God work with resurrection power in your life or people around you? How might you share that with others? It's a helpful, easy place to start. It can be a life-changing place. I was so blessed. I'm bringing you today what things I saw or I heard in the last week as I heard this daughter tell about her dad, who we'll call Bob the alcoholic, say, yes, that was the reality. I thought he was going to die. Literally was at the hospital with kidneys failing and everything like that and had a friend come and tell him about a program called Celebrate Recovery. So his, matter of fact, it was one of his drinking buddies that he had drank with in the past that came to him and said, I'd like to tell you about what's made a difference in my life. Hearing his hurt and pain, sharing his resurrection story in a way where I got to be with his daughter this week with tears running down her eyes, saying her dad knows Jesus and her dad is a different person, no longer struggling with alcohol. As she prepares for her wedding, can't wait for dad to walk her down the aisle sober 
not wondering if he will stumble down the aisle. Another resurrection story. Let me share with you what God has done with Bill and Christine. Today, there are people that are telling others, not unlike Jesse is, about God's resurrection power. In the midst of the healing, excuse me, the hurt, they've experienced the healing power of God and are eager to tell others about that. They've experienced community reaching out to them. They've experienced things, although not like the exact same name as Grief Share or Aiden's Conference, and they're eager to now tell others of what they've experienced. You know, Jill, Jill, the person that I could actually fill her name in with several other people who have experienced infidelity in the marriage. Jill, thankfully, like several other people I know, is a person who has experienced over a period of time God's resurrection power, healing, bringing their marriage to a place that it never was before, a place they never thought would happen. There's resurrection that she's experienced, and she's eager to tell other people. You know, Ramon, this is the one that I loved seeing even just this past week. Ramon, someone who wasn't sure he'd ever get the, the property, be able to buy the property for this home, six years. He had less than when he started working towards that. And then one day, a pastor that had never met, a church that had never been to the Dominican Republic, heard about what he was doing and donated all the money so that he could purchase the property. And not just purchase the property, but then put a home on it and continually bring kids into it. And then as the story keeps unfolding, and I keep on hearing that God is causing a resurrection, not just in this one location, but there's four or five, I didn't count, different orphanages all around the Dominican Republic that tie back to Ramon and his faithfulness. As his uh, orphanage is taken off, he went to a whole other location called Harabakoa and started telling people, hey, this is something God's doing. And what about where, you know, what might God do? And it just unfolds in beautiful, powerful ways. What are the stories of how you've seen God's resurrection power at work? Will you tell others those things? Well, remember Peter, the one who denied Jesus three times, who made, um, who had special mention of him here? Well, he received that truth and it changed him. It changed him where he, like Joseph, was willing to go into those difficult circumstances and proclaim the truth of who Jesus is. We see this in Acts chapter 2. As he's surrounded by people that aren't sure what's going on, aren't sure if they believe or whatever, and Jesus says, I mean, uh, Peter says, this Jesus who you crucified, who was killed by the hands of lawless men, God raised him up. He's resurrected. And in doing that, has ended the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. Physical death and the pain of despair and hopelessness has been broken once and for all. That's the truth we celebrate. Death has been defeated. Jesus has conquered. Those places of despair or shame in your life, the cross proclaims that there's nothing that can separate you from God's love. The tears you've cried, the doubts that have filled your mind, the tomb says that that's not the end of the story, that God's meeting you in your grief, wanting to give his resurrection pain in a way that guards your heart and your mind to continually seek him and trust him. The fears that keep you paralyzed from ever telling anyone this good news, the empty tube proclaims that that resurrection power can break through those fears. There's nothing to fear. Death has been conquered. There's nothing that will impede, thwart God 
and his love and his purposes. Jesus is alive. Can I hear an amen to that? Jesus is alive. That's the reality of what we celebrate. May that reality sink deep within our hearts. Because Jesus is alive, everything, every part of our life can change. So as I said at the very beginning, the resurrection invites us to respond. God doesn't want this just to be an intellectual truth, a historical fact that we tuck away till we die, but wants us to hold on to in a way that changes us, transforms every area in our lives in a way that we can't wait to go tell and encourage others. So as you sit here today, I'm going to ask you in a moment to, to stand if one of these describe you this morning, if God is putting it on your heart to trust him for the very first time as your Savior and Lord, in a moment here, I'm going to ask you to stand. If God is putting it on your heart to be like Joseph of Arimathea and those women, to continually grieve as people with the hope of Jesus, to not give up, to keep seeking Jesus, whatever you might be grieving, I'm going to ask you to stand. And if you're someone that God's putting on your heart that you know what? I'm not going to let fear paralyze me anymore. I am going to look for those opportunities to encourage others with this resurrection truth of who Jesus is. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to stand so we can pray for you and support you. Stand not unlike some of, most of you probably saw the baptisms out here. Wasn't that great? Great to see from young to old stand and say, yeah, Jesus has made a difference in my life. Stand and proclaim in that. And now the support and encouragement that come from them. If you've accepted Jesus for the first time today, I invite you right now to stand so we can know and support and encourage you. If you're someone who's been grieving and wants to continually seek Jesus in the midst of that, I invite you to stand right now. Stand right where you're at. Or if you're someone that God's putting on your heart that you want to not hold back in fear, but to be telling other people, stand. Whatever might be the case for you this morning. And I'm asking you to stand because I want people to see who you are, to pray for you, to encourage you. And then also, yes, to come alongside you and check in with you and go, how's it going? Where's resurrection power showing up? How can I encourage you in those different ways? Let's join. Let's pray for one another as we close. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for the incredible truth of your resurrection for the life-changing, life-shaping reality that is broken into our lives, our world. God, I pray for those who are standing or those that uh, you know who they are, that God are needing your resurrection, encouragement and hope and power in the situations in which they are facing. God, would you bless and encourage them? Would you let them know in some very tangible way in this day that you are a God who is with them. You are a God who will never leave nor forsake them. You are a God that can do more than what they ask or imagine. And God, I pray that for all of us, whether we've stood or not stood, that we would leave here today by the power of your spirit, graced with that gift of a certain hope in you, Jesus, in what you have done a certain hope that changes who we are, a certain hope that shows forth in who we are to others around us in ways that point them back to you. Risen Lord and Savior, we love you 
Thank you for how you love us. Amen.